My name is Hanson Oak, and I'd like to tell you my story. Perfection is as much an obsession among some as the pursuit of wealth, but it's as unattainable as reaching the horizon. None of us are perfect, and those convinced they're the exception tend to be even less so. We all travel with our personal pack of peccadillos, beautifully flawed and deliciously defective. And while we tend to be hardest on ourselves, many times the people around us do not escape the judgment against an impossible ideal. Tragically, many of those pushed into the periphery for the audacity of being different have been children. A year ago, I received a letter asking for my help with such a child in Prague. She was seven and delegated to a home that cared for countless children just like her, once cast off for their oddities, orphaned by tragedy, or released by their parents because they did not or could not care for them any longer. Veronica was born with hideous physical deformities, defects so extreme that some questioned if she was a human at all. Her eyes were large, black from edge to edge, inky, emotionless orbs that reflected no light. Her skin was pale, rigid, stretched far too thin over her bones that grew angled and wrong. Her hands were gnarled and curved like exposed fine branches of the trees in the wintertime. She never spoke, never cried, and was never loved. Veronica was abandoned as soon as she came into this world. Her nursery was the gutter she was thrown into. Veronica was left to die, but even death refused such a wretch, and so she fed on the rats and the cats and the children who did not listen to their parents and ran off. Dramatic, isn't it? But what good local legends and cautionary tales aren't? In truth, there's no record of Veronica ever eating a child. In fact, there's no record of Veronica's birth, either a date, location, or the names of her parents, which only meant that she was born into poverty. Records were only important for those who mattered. There is no mention of her life before she was taken by the orphanage, again, perfectly normal as things go, but there was a great many tales of her time spent there. Tales so terrible that any exaggerated backstory she was given seemed perfectly believable, and her nickname, the Beast of Bohemia, well deserved. From the beginning, Veronica preferred her isolation. She always took to the darkness of the corners or the closets, then to the bright spaces and open rooms where the other children played. For the most part, her behavior and appearance caused children and staff alike to pretend she did not exist at all in the hopes that she might just disappear. She ate what she could scavenge, yet outpaced the others as she grew, reaching terrifying proportions, leading to curious and grotesque rumors of what or who she might have been eating when no one was watching. If the written accounts of the staff are to be believed, Veronica seemed to have a vendetta against those who found good fortune. A child being selected by a family for adoption was a celebration shared by all. It was the universal dream of an orphan, but it wasn't long after Veronica came to this place that the celebrations and even conversations of adoption ceased and became coded whispers. Driven by jealousy or malice, it was said that Veronica would hunt and torture the children that had been placed in homes the night before they were to leave. One victim had her hair pulled so hard that it ripped the flesh from her face clean off. Another was found tied and bound behind a furnace, cooked completely through. 
So secrecy was paramount. On any given day, a child would simply disappear, and the other children and caretakers were left to wonder if they had found a new home, or if Veronica had found them. When I arrived, I saw the once grand home for children leaning and tired from being pushed upon by time and pulled upon by gravity. Its facade was nothing more than a heap of brick, plaster, and plywood. Gomez de Luz, the man who had written me, waved enthusiastically from the far side of the building. People are always excited to see me when I arrive and equally excited to see me leave. The horror in the middle tends to have a taste that lingers. I was on my way to Hungary on account of a creature eating the feet off of coma patients in a rural hospital, and I told him I was happy to help in any way I could while I was here. He explained the building was to be restored and resurrected to its previous function of housing and healing the less fortunate in society, but when a few structural engineers entered to investigate the undertaking, they never came out. And they were not the only ones. Dozens of people were lost to the belly of this building, and the ones who did make it out were stricken mad by whatever it was they experienced. This is where Gomez felt I should make an appearance in the story to rid the place of the evil inside. You mean you want me to rid this place of the beast, I asked. He almost suffocated me with the heavy hand he put over my mouth in an attempt to silence me before the monster could hear my words to know we were coming and ready itself. He said a stiff prayer to clean the air of her name. He relaxed, reached into his pocket, revealing a gun. I asked what he planned to do with it, and he said if he came to it, he would kill the monster inside. I explained that she was already dead. Neither the gun nor the prayer was going to prove very useful. I reached into my own pocket, where I had a flashlight. The night was hot and humid, and rain was beginning to tap against the cobblestone streets and the slate roofs. We moved through the window, but the light from the moon and street lamps didn't follow us in. I turned my flashlight on and shined it down the endless corridors and countless shadowed rooms that surrounded us. The sounds of footsteps, both the soft trotting of bare feet and the hard clicking of stiff heels echoed from everywhere and nowhere. Voices, uh, words muttered and dulled by time and thick air were impossible to translate to our living ears, but we can hear it and feel it all the same. For as hot as it was outside, inside chilled me to the bone. I felt Gomez's hand squeeze my arm. We should go now, Mr. Roke, he said in a whisper. Let them knock this place to the ground and burn it. We'll just start over again. The beast is bound here, I said. Break the chain and she can go anywhere and torment anyone or worse. If we're going to face her, we have to do it here and now. The floor above us began to creak. Something was moving, heavy and fast, knocking dust and bits of plaster into the air in my eyes, and I felt the vibration of its approach in my feet. I moved the beam of my flashlight in all directions and readied myself for an attack for the bite of teeth or the burning of claws, and then... nothing. Hello, Mr. Oak. A small voice said behind us, and I spun and lit the face of a small child, which was clawed and deformed, its teeth and bone exposed, the eyes sunken into the safety of their sockets. We were wondering when you'd come. Gomez looked between us, and I didn't explain that it would be more unusual for this ghost not to know me. I just looked at the child and promised that I was not here to hurt it, to which it replied, that's what she said you would say. 
Without warning, the child screamed in a voice that was much too deep and expansive to belong to it and was joined by a chorus of others. And we looked around and suddenly we realized we were surrounded by dozens of these mutilated children all growling and calling out to create a sound that made my head feel like it would vibrate and crack like a dropped melon. Gomez clutched his ears and pulled his gun and pointed at the spirit in front of him. And before I could protest, he pulled the trigger and the sound of the shot silenced their screams and left us in a void that gripped us all. The child looked down at its chest, expecting to see a wound that wasn't there. Then it looked at me through the tops of its eyes and said, You promised, Mr. Oak. You promised, they all began to say before running down the halls and into the rooms, and then the pounding started again. Something large and heavy was making its way towards us, moving through the building, the walls cracking and the floors buckling as it went. Our eyes moved with the sound, tracking its movement above us until we settled our gaze on the wide staircase at the end of the hallway. Everything went silent. The creaking of the creature above us, the footsteps, the voices and sounds of the children's spirits around us, the rain, the wind, the world. So quiet, I thought I'd gone deaf. Then the bang of a footstep, the crack of wood, it was coming down the stairs. Veronica dragged the shadows with her as she descended, and I found my breath no longer coming as I watched. If anything, the descriptions of her were kind. She was as pale as winter ash, her veins clear below the flesh, the blood inside long arrested and black as tar. Her eyes were a starless night behind closed eyes in a locked box buried in the gut of the devil himself. I stepped back, my instinct to survive, tugging at my coattails and begging me to run, but my foot fell through the rotted floor, followed by the rest of me. I tumbled into oblivion punctuated by a sharp pain as I hit the bottom of the stiff dirt floor. Mr. Oak, I could hear Gomez shouting somewhere above me. Are you okay? It's coming, dear God, it's coming! I tried to yell for him to run, but I couldn't catch my breath. I felt the sharp sting of a broken rib poking at my lung. Disoriented, I picked up my flashlight and pointed it at where I thought up might be. Gomez jumped down to where I was, landing close enough to kick dry ground into my face and I choked on it and also some blood from my wounded lung. The fires of the furnaces ignited around us and the light from their bellies cast over the stone walls and rocky dirt floor. The shadows were the faces of children who hissed and screamed with the crackling pyres that barked hot breath and singed the hairs on the back of my arms and neck. In the far end of the space, from the corners that wore shadows like curtains holding their ground at the periphery of a stage, that darkness unzipped, and the monster known as Veronica once again made her approach. I rolled to my side, pushing against the rock I landed on to try to get to my feet, but as I did, the creature screamed out in a rage that shook the beating from my heart. I didn't dare move, or breathe, or blink, but my attention was taken by what my hand was touching. It wasn't a large rock, but a small skull. I looked all around and saw dozens of other bones and skulls poking from the dirt like some macabre garden. I plucked one out of the ground, turned it to Gomez, who gasped as he looked into the cracked eye sockets. The stories are true, he said. These are the children she killed. I looked across the mass grave that we found ourselves in to the monster seething with ire. Then I saw something different. I forced myself not to look away and instead looked deeper into the void of Veronica's eyes. 
And there I saw something I wasn't expecting. I saw uncertainty, and I saw concern. I lifted the skull high above my head, and her gaze followed. She didn't kill them, I said. I think she's protecting them. Veronica leaned forward, digging her long, sharp fingers into the soil and pulling the skulls towards her like a poker player clearing the table of his winnings. I began to pull some into my own arms, balancing as many as possible against my chest. Veronica let out a scream that fed the fires and raced towards me with the speed of rain ushered by a hurricane. Gomez reached for his gun, but I pushed his arm away, and when I looked back, her face was an inch from mine. I could smell the mingling of time and death on her thirsty flesh. I looked deep into her eyes and saw my life and my death in a singular moment that took me away from the dark and heat of the basement and into a corner of being that connected us in a way that all things are connected. And I whispered, I will take them now. I will bring them home. You can rest. Then I was back in the basement and she was gone. The ground she stood upon was black and thick as if it had been burned. The skulls rattled in my arms like dried gourds. The fires dwindled. The shadows took hold. The darkness painted us like shades of nothing and we were alone. Mr. Oak, Gomez trembled. I want to go home. If you followed my stories, you've seen me mention a placement service of sorts that my wife and I have started. We facilitate the connection of lost spirits with willing hosts like an older couple with no children of their own who take on the ghosts of children lost too soon. It took almost three years, but I'm happy to report that we helped to guide almost 50 young spirits to happy hosts, just in time for the newly renovated children's home to open. While the new building barely resembles the old and joy is clearly felt in the halls, some say at night, if you're quiet and move slow, you could still see Veronica lurking in the shadows of the corners of the bedrooms, watching over their most vulnerable and valuable residents.